the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now please join our host, Dan Rebman. Thank you for joining Philanthropy SA. I'm your host, Dan Redman, and I have the distinct pleasure and honor of being joined by a longtime friend, Kara McGrain. Kara, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Dan. I'm really thrilled to be here. See, that just proves how long it's been since we chatted. That's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, Kara and I have known each other for a long time. She was like 10 or 12, um, if I said the number of years. So we won't do that. And as you'll probably pick up in her voice, she is not a South Texas native, but that's okay. She's She got here as soon as she can, and she's been doing great for ever since. Um, so... In terms of, uh, tell us what brought you to San Antonio and how you got here and what you did once you got here. Sure. Um, So I am from actually a town called Lynn, Massachusetts. We're one of those post-industrial revolution um, communities just north of Boston. And I went to college in New York and studied sociology and poli-sci and did a lot of my volunteerism and my thesis in the field of homelessness and deinstitutionalization. And in that time, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps. I'm going to the Peace Corps. But ultimately, what happened was I found the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. And obviously, I'm Irish Catholic, but we explored it, and it was the most amazing program. It was an opportunity for young people to go to a different city in the United States and work with other Jesuit volunteers. And it's a one-year commitment, August to August. And the core values, the principles, and the things that you're living with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps are spirituality, simple living, community, and social justice. And what this really means in a nutshell is that you're going there not to give service. You are giving there to live with and among the poor. And you live in neighborhoods, and there's always a joke, don't let your parents come visit until halfway through the year because they probably would have freaked out. But it really is that opportunity to say you no longer look at poverty or injustice the same way ever again. There's a bumper sticker I have, and it's it's one of the JV phrases, and it's called ruined for life. And so I have that on my car, and most people are like, what's JVC? I'm like, well, it's why I do what I do. And so I was already leading to that because of my amazing family, but it's um, it, it's, it was, honestly, I've had amazing years in my life, and it was the best, most valuable year of my life, taught me a lot. Very good. And so what organization did you work with when you got here to San Antonio? And what did, what kind of what is your career arc looked like as you've gone down this path? Absolutely. Um, I often say that if it weren't for joining the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and coming to San Antonio, 
I have no idea what I would have done with my life. And so I'm blessed to have done amazing things with amazing places. And that all started through the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. I was placed at Respite Care San Antonio. And Respite Care San Antonio at the time was at Mission Road Developmental Center out by Stinson Airfield. And that is where I met Daniel and his <laughs> wife, Cindy. And before, there were wonderful, beautiful children and so many other great people. And at Respite Care, at the time, we just provided in-home services, like specialized babysitting services for people with developmental disabilities. And what we did ultimately from that is more and more people came to us and said, this is great to have somebody come to my home, but I need to leave and go um, to a funeral in Arkansas. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And there was just no real option. So the director at the time, and we just started brainstorming and that's when we discovered and launched and put all of our efforts for the next few years into establishing the Davidson Respite House. And that is the Davidson Respite House. Again, it's the first and only emergency shelter in the state of Texas for kids with disabilities with an on-site JACO clinic and many, many other programs of respite care. But it really was just uh, life-changing, the number of children that you can serve who are not only have a developmental disability, but mm-hmm. They've been abused, neglected, or a medical um, severe disability. Mm-hmm. And you're not just serving that child. You're serving their whole family. That's right. And so when you think about um, prevention or whatever, you know, how, how, do you do, how do you make sure that a child doesn't become abused or neglected? How do they be well? And maybe these aren't kids who are going to follow the same trajectory as a neurotypical kid, but... They and their family still have visions and dreams that they want to achieve and what a quality of life should be. And that is, you just kept reinforcing that JV year about and doing the work with families and learning their stories and living with them and helping to solve for that. And from there, it would just, everything came organically from what are the needs, what are the needs, what are the needs? And I never realized it until you and I started talking, Dan, because I'm not highly reflective in that sense, that all of this was this foundation for where then I went next and what I'm doing now. And it's uh, amazing lessons learned. Amazing lessons learned. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I see that, you know, in your life very, very easily, maybe more so than you do. So let's talk about what you're doing now. What what did you do when that season at respite care was was done? Absolutely. So I left respite care San Antonio after about 23 years and nine months, so just shy <laughs> of 24 years. And at the time, Kronkowski Charitable Foundation was bringing people together in the community that touched the autism and the developmental disability space mm-hmm. because the incidence of the number of children across the nation was increasing who were being diagnosed with autism. And it caused this gap in services in every community, but here, and more importantly, diagnosis. How do you get your child diagnosed? Because the research and all of the indicators show that the sooner you can get a kiddo diagnosed and get them into some type of therapy and treatment, the better the outcomes will be. I mean, it's logical. It's just treat it early so we aren't you know, doing something more severe in the future. And what was ultimately decided was that we would launch an organization uh, under a collective impact model, and that was called Autism Lifeline Links. And at the time, the director of Kronkowski Charitable Foundation, Telus Wells, had asked me if I would come and run that project. And I mean, it was just the craziest. I'd worked hard before. It was 
so amazing the work that we're able to do and see the outcomes of bring people together with a common concern and just dig into why. Why is this broken? If we all care, why is it broken? How can we fix it? And deepening our questions about who is affected by things in this arena and who can affect the change in this arena, which has been the most important part of it. And those are continuing lessons that we um, have learned and learned and help hopefully refine in how we apply the work that we do. And from that time, Autism Lifeline Links, I was then transferred to Texas A&M San Antonio, which was pretty, you know, an emerging uh, institution here in San Antonio. And they were starting the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And one of the things I would always uh, think of, because I'm a big, I love nature, was if we can seed and feed something to see if it can grow and go, then that is what we can do. And being able to seed and feed Autism Lifeline Links so it could grow and go, and A&M could do even, A&M San Antonio, to be clear, mm-hmm. uh, could do more with that program through research and students and all of that kind of important work. No, that's awesome. So what else? I mean, you know, Kronkowski Foundation is obviously certainly well-known within the philanthropic world in San Antonio and that kind of thing. Um, I, I knew kind of the niche there that you serve, but talk a little more generally about Kronkowski and what they do and, you know, kind of where that all fits in in the bigger picture of philanthropy. Sure. So when I was leaving, when I, I'm sorry, when I moved Autism Lifeline links to A&M, I was simultaneously asked to come and be the director of initiatives and partnerships at Kronkowski. And that is really digging into systems change and asking some of those questions. So Kronkowski's mission is to produce profound good that is tangible and measurable in Bandera, Bear, Comal, um, sorry, Kendall, I always do them. I'll read it for several. It's okay. All the counties around. (laughs) Bear Bandera, Kendall, and Comal, even there, they're not in alpha order. (laughs) And so with that work, there's always been, uh, we are a grant-making organization, and we do that. One of the things that we really encourage people to do is go to our website at kronkowski.org and look through our website, find out what it takes to become an applicant, Look through the health, uh, the the three primary funding areas, and those are health and human services, arts and culture, and then it says other, and other really fits into wildlife and um, animals and per- parks and preservation kinds of components. So if you go to our website, you can look at that, and then there's also an apply button. And the process would be. You submit a LOI or what's a letter of intent that's commonly called a LOI. through the electronic portal. It's received by our grants team at Kronkowski, and they review that and then will reach out. Um, You may get a decline letter. Often that's because you don't even live in the county and you're not (laughs) serving anyone in those four counties. Um, And then the process goes from there. So we're really proud of that. Very good. Now, Kronkowski's done so much good for so long um, here in, you know, the the San Antonio and the surrounding area. So um, one of the reasons I wanted us to have this conversation and the thing that just, you know, 
um, I'm really, really excited about is the notion of you talked about something that you talked about the notion of having upstream, midstream, and downstream services or needs within the philanthropic world uh, and within that context of the agencies that provide services and everything. I thought it was brilliant. Um, no surprise that it came from you. And so please share it with our audience and talk to, talk to us about what, that, what, that, what you were referencing and what that means to be upstream or downstream in this space. And I would love to take credit for upstream downstream. It is not me. I did not create this theory. Well, it's been in the oil business for a while, but I was going to let that go. No. So. so upstream and downstream is a concept that's been used in many industries and is being applied to the healthcare industry and the social service sector um, now. It is something that's been used when you think about oil and gas refinery. The upstream is the geologists and they're finding the you know they're finding those old fossils and figuring out how to get them out of the ground. And then the middle part is that. You know in, in that manufacturing, and the end point is the petroleum that we all buy to not only run our cars, but some of those middle things, drinking from a water bottle. All these are byproducts of that. And so we invest a lot of time and energy into those systems to make sure that we have what we need at the end as a society to be highly functional. But when you look at social services or health care, we're not necessarily investing in the upstream issues to make sure that the downstream effect is good. And we all have a great air quote product at the end of the day that's usable by pretty much everybody in society in one way or another. And when you think of it, to put it in more simple terms, you think about a stream. And if you went downstream for fishing, uh, you great catch great fish right but if you went if all of a sudden you're going to your same fishing hole you're going to your same stream casting your line everything is great and no one's biting the fish aren't biting and you're saying this has been a good place for me before how is this not working and you start exploring and you go upstream and when you get upstream you find there's a major problem something is either blocking the fish hurting the fish while they spawn whatever it may be and that creates a huge problem for the midstream, and that ultimately affects the quality of what we get at the end of the day. And that's where we are at this stage in health care and um, health equity, social justice, social determinants of health, or public health. This is a concept that's used really applying in these same manners. When you look at the cost of health care in our nation and the value for what we're getting in result, we still have so many unhealthy people. Our, you know, obesity rates are, I mean, so much continues to increase. So how do we really affect that? Because what we've historically done is not necessarily working well for everybody. And it's about that equitable lens. And so often people think, oh, it's equal or it's fair. But what equity means is that every single person has access to the same things and the ability to access them. Well said. Um, we're going to take a minute now and uh, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. We understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today at 210-999-5511. In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor-advised funds, and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network, member SIPC slash FINRA. Thanks for staying with us. This is Dan Rebman for Philanthropy SA, and I'm joined by Kara McGrain. And we were just talking about upstream and downstream, and oil was talked about briefly, but it was more from the perspective of of how agencies deliver things and and how problems can be solved, I guess would be a better way to say it. So let me run this by you, Kara, and you see if this kind of summarizes it or, or you know, is a correct way of looking at it. So if we're going to fix problems that emerge downstream, we can have a bigger impact, a bigger return on our investment, on our, uh, you know, what we're going to do by tackling some of the upstream issues to make sure that the downstream, you know, still receives the amount of water, the fish are biting, and all those kinds of things on that wonderful analogy you just used. Does that sound right? It's 100% right, and Dan, you used the perfect word at the beginning. It's a reactant. It's a reaction. Downstream is a reaction to a problem that may or may not have needed to happen in the first place. And we can't go back. I think I I say to people, we are not going to stop as a society giving people a fish, but at some point we have to do back upstream and figure out how do we teach people to fish. And that is where we have this amazing opportunity, I'm going to say, in our in our city, in our community, and in our society to really start to go back and focus and explore the structural factors that make our world not so equitable. There are the resources in our community. I believe San Antonio is one of the greatest communities doing this work, but we're still doing them in silos. And if we could come together and have this conversation, which just sometimes can be hard, um, and I shared with you at one point, each entity, nonprofit, corporation, foundation has their own mission, vision, values. They have the work that they are doing. There's no expectation that anybody should stop that work, but I use the analogy and the visual of a a person carrying uh, a human with a yoke and carrying two buckets of water. All this is is taking one of those buckets, dumping just a little bit out, and filling it with community water. Because if not, we're going to continue to see some of the greater challenges and spend exponential and exorbitant amounts of money in some systems. And we could really address so much of this if we just went upstream and focused on what happens midstream before they get downstream. You know, when we look at 
upstream versus downstream. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about how do we get ahead of a problem or how do we solve the root causes of a problem rather than treating the symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's easy to say, okay, we have a community and whether, you know, uh, whether it, you mentioned that you had done studies on homelessness. Well, mm-hmm. good thing we got that fixed, right? Um, <laughs> 31 so, years ago. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, the, the issues are still there. And, and people who deal with that community can tell you that there's root causes there that tend to be, that tend to be in place. Um, I've had other guests talk about the same thing as it relates to marriage, you know, those types of things. So it's, you know, there's always seems to be this notion of let's go back. And, and find that. So what's the best way from your perspective, because you've been in agencies delivering services, you're now in a grant-making organization that tries to have that positive impact and measure its effectiveness, I'm sure. Um, what's, the, what's the best way to do that? I think like most things in life, it's a both and. Is that we're never going to stop having people in need in our community, in our societies, globally. I think if we stop and think we're solving problems, what if we just didn't have so many problems and so many big problems? And it is. It's solvable. But it, it takes a committed group of people or community society, like whatever that may be, small or large, to come together and really have deep, transparent conversations. And some of that means you think about, as you just said, you had a marriage, uh, one of your other guests being a marriage uh, in it, Sorry, preservation of marriage person, mm-hmm. right? And it is very similar in that sense that if you really want to be vulnerable with somebody to help solve something, you have to make that choice. You have to make that choice to let them see some of the not great things about, you know, you as a human. And I'll correlate that to society, right? There are some things if people really drove around and saw some of the things every day and sat and really, as you do as a JV, sit in the experience and not outside observing it, there's such an opportunity for us to grow as individuals and come together and say, okay, how do we solve for this? How do we solve this? Well, you can apply so many principles of teaching a man to fish, giving a man to fish. You can talk about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done to you. Any of these things apply when it comes to us as a community, and that's one of the big principles of JVC that just sticks with you. Like, we're a community, and as much as well as one does is as well as the other does, and we have a, a, a disparity that's global. So let's go back and circle back to uh, the Jesuit volunteer program quickly. So let's say somebody's listening to this and saying, man, I want to be like her when I grow up. What, how do they get involved with Jesuit volunteers or reach out and do that? Well, Daniel, you've known me for 30 years. Who would want to? I want to be like her. There's a lot of baggage with that, people. So um, honestly, I think it is self-reflecting, exposing yourself to um, people in communities, be purposeful about what you read, where you, you know, how you view your information, especially in this day and age with so much polarizing. Stop, and I tell my boys, if they say something to me, I'm like, go find two other sources that are not 
X site or X site <laughs> that confirm or deny and let's sit down and have a conversation. And it's a practice I, we do in our home and it's a practice we do in community. And so just practice, practice. Everything in life is practice. And if you start having that those conversations start exploring some of the things that may not be on the surface or understood ask why ask why why is this broken who is affected by it and who can affect that change all of those things and be humble walk with grace be humble be a learner i think those are some of those values that we we really need to And that's not a need. I mean, it's just like that's my strong beliefs. I am clearly, obviously, strongly in that vein of those are things that are important for fundamental changing of systems and systems change kind of theory. Very good. So what would you be telling a brand-new JV who's showing up in San Antonio today, who's working at an agency somewhere, living in that beautiful JV house that y'all – okay, it wasn't beautiful. But, um, you know, what would you, what would you tell Kara, you know, from 25 years ago? I love how you keep saying 25 because I'm 30. But yeah, I'm trying to get. I know now, everyone's I'm trying to dial back my age. I wear my age as wisdom. I got to try something. Got to try something. I understand. And so we, when I look at a JV coming in, just wide-eyed, pulling into a neighborhood, whether it's here or in Chicago or anywhere else, just be right. Be present. Learn everything you can. Ask questions, and. Again, just sit. Sit with someone and live in humility and grace. Be vulnerable and then do something with it. That's my, that's that's I think that's the thing. It's very hard. People, lots of people do amazing programs and mission trips and they're all amazing. And then how do we apply what we learned and hopefully immersed ourselves in and didn't just observe into what, how we walk every day in this world. And I think that is um, so, so, so important. And I would tell my younger self, I would tell my younger self that. And don't worry about those humongous flying cockroaches because you're bigger than them. That's what I would tell them. <laughs> so humility meets Nike. Learn all you can and then just go do it. So. I don't think we have to pay. I hope we don't have to pay any royalties for that. I don't think so. Um, So what do you want to be when you grow up? Daniel, I I want to be better. I want to be, you know, a good contributing member to our society. I think of the Emerson um, poem or quote that is about to have succeeded in it goes through and it's like laugh often and much endure the respect of you know or the betrayal of false friends so on and so forth and it's to leave the world a bit better whether by a healthy garden patch a child or a redeemed social condition this is to have succeeded it's not to have lived it's to have succeeded and often I think in this society success can be seen as something very different and that's for everyone to decide this is the path I've chosen and I hope with everything I am I can I am able to continue to do work that brings people together has some difficult conversations and can create and apply 
and stick with some solutions to solve some really big problems. Wow, that's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. So, Kara, thank you for joining us today. Can't tell you how much fun this is. We'll have to do this again. And uh, look forward to uh, getting more lessons on upstream and downstream, and most importantly, bring the fish over so I can grill it. So, Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dan. This has been great. And yeah. thanks for what you're doing on this program. Oh, no. It's 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 a ton of fun, and uh, we're, uh, we're very excited about the direction that this is going. So thank you for joining us on Philanthropy SA. On behalf of uh, everybody and our sponsor, I want to say thank you for joining us. And until next time, this is Dan Redman. Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.